The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everybody, on the East Coast, and good morning, everyone, on the West Coast. We have a great guest for you today. My guest is Donald Vandermark, and his brand new book is The Good Among the Great, 19 Traits of the Most Admirable, Creative, and Joyous People. And he reveals the defining characteristics of the exceptions among the world's super successful, who he described as exceedingly aware, decent, empathetic, and happy. And that is, that's really amazing. Donald Vandermark has spent more than 20 years interviewing the most successful people of our age. He's a great storyteller as well as an expert in distilling a more subtle people of our age and also the, the most revered individuals. He was one of the first employees at Business Times on ESPN. He's been at CNBC. Welcome, Donald Vandermark. Thank you very much, Patricia. Yeah, let's talk about your book and you know why you decided to write this. Well, I had been a reporter and an anchor for many years with CNBC, as you noted, with CNN in the 90s in New York covering business news. And when, when you cover business news, and I was covering political economics for CNBC in Washington, you meet all of these power mongers, these very important people who are great successes in politics and finance and business, a lot of CEOs. And after a while, I realized there was a subset, a few of them, who were not just high achievers. They were also marvelous human beings. And you could tell because their staff loved them, they had longevity in terms of their success, <clears throat> excuse me, and they opened up when the discussion turned philosophical, when the discussion turned to their personal uh, trials and tribulations as well as successes. And after a while, I, I sort of noted that a lot of the same ideas, a lot of the same philosophical premises came out of a very wide cast of people, wide cast of characters. So I started keeping a list of personality traits, because they were very similar. And then I came across Abraham Maslow, the great 20th century psychologist that most people know about through his hierarchy of needs. And Maslow also wrote a list of the people he considered the most healthy psychologically. So what are the traits, Donald? Well, there's 19 of them. The first one that I write about in the book, I think it's the bedrock, is what I call being autonomous. This means being profoundly independent or self-sufficient. So these characters are very much their own individuals. They often come across as a little eccentric once you get to know them because they are so profoundly individualistic. Another trait is that they are loving individuals. They have lasting 
lifelong love relationships with spouses, with their family members, with dear, dear friends. But it's very interesting in that they only have those loving relationships with a few people. In fact, they're very wary of even using the word love. And so I describe some characters in the book who are that way, some, some moms and housewives as well as uh, some famous characters. Uh, mm. Another trait uh, is being egalitarian. Even the most powerful individuals that I met, Charles Schwab, for instance, who runs the great discount brokerage, and mm. others, they were still, by their very nature, respectful of virtually everyone. And they also didn't put people up on pedestals. So they didn't elevate certain characters, and they didn't, they didn't push down other characters. So those are three. We, uh, it's too much to go through all 19, I think, in one breath, but that just gives you a taste of why these people are different. Well, it's interesting. You wrote an, an article that you sent me, fascinating, called A Salute to Sadness. <laughs> and you talked about how Life magazine recently featured Diana, Princess of Wales, on the cover, and a morbid tribute to her 50th birthday, If She Had Only Lived. What's your, what's your, why did you write that, and what's your take on this? It's funny. I, uh, I just wrote that this morning. It's going up on my site today. It, um, I'm going through my own tough time right now, and, uh, and I'm, I'm going through a roller coaster of sadness and grief. <clears throat> and we all do when we lose loved ones. It's inescapable in life. And yet I think often in our culture, particularly America in this age, we, we push these things aside. We're, we're told you know, to, to buck up too often. And I think it's very important to recognize that grieving, sadness, and whatnot is important because it deepens your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to avoid being a shallow person, to avoid being a shallow nation, we have to face the great trials and sadnesses of our lives. And when you do, the reason I wrote about Diana is, on the cover of that magazine, if you look closely, she's profoundly sad. And here is this, this beautiful, regal photograph and this gorgeous dress, and she's wearing a tiara, a crown, if you will, and yet she's profoundly sad. And I think that sadness made her much more empathic or empathetic, mm. and why she became a great uh, advocate for AIDS patients and for landmine victims and the downtrodden. It was something that ennobled her, and it can do the same for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is it's so important to feel the sadness, yes. even though it can be painful. I mean, and it hurts. There are a number but of it's, reasons. It's One important is, to feel it and move through it than bottle it up because yes. that takes something out of us. Exactly. And, and first and foremost, here's another, and this is maybe the most important trait in terms of success here on earth and keeping your sanity. You must be wedded to reality. That's what M. Scott Peck, the great psychiatrist who wrote The Road Less Traveled, said. He said, mental health is a dedication, a dedication to reality at all costs. So first and foremost, we all suffer setbacks and loss. So facing that, facing the reality of sadness is critical to your mental health, to seeing the world realistically, to hanging on to reality. So that's important. Then this issue of being able to uh, be empathetic to others. If you feel your own great pain, you'll be much more aware of others' pain. And that allows you to then be compassionate and reach out to others. And that can bring great joy. Here's a paradox. There's so many in life, but here's a key philosophical, psychological paradox. If you feel great sadness, it can lead to much deeper joy. It's like extending the pain on one 
end of the psychological realm or the emotional realm extends it at the other end. I know this to be true. I have a cousin, dear cousin I write about named Rachel Walton. She's a hospice nurse. She's always dealing with those who are dying and their families. Mm. And she was a pediatric hospice nurse, so these little children who are dying. And she says whenever she goes into a room, she clears her mind. She hears what needs to be heard, says what needs to be said, spoken, and it gives her great joy because she has these moments where she's simply a vehicle. She said, I don't really know where the words are coming from, and and it's effortless. These are transcendent moments that most of us only have a few in our lives. She has them every week. So, Donna, let me ask you, do you find that one of the 19 traits of these amazing people who have it all, in a sense, are, are they able to handle sadness? Yes. And it's because they're profoundly realistic. They're profoundly realistic. And they're also profoundly appreciative. Here's another trait of marvelous people. They appreciate a lot, and they appreciate the simple, free uh, things. They don't appreciate jets and, and, and fantastic nights out on the town. I mean, they may periodically just for fun and for convenience, but mm-hmm. what really matters to them are quiet nights at home with their family, uh, you know, starry, starry skies, uh, great, great moments of emotional connection with others. These are things that all of us get to experience, and yet we don't, we don't recognize them and appreciate them as much as we should. And when you do, it makes you uh, it makes you much more satisfied with your life and keeps you from grasping and wanting more. And if you're in constant state of wanting more, it can be a real downer. It's, it, 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 then you're constantly disappointed. I want to ask you something, though, for, the, for readers and for listeners. You know, if you're in a position in life where you need more, you need a relationship because it, it, you feel that way, or you need more money because you're going to have to keep supporting yourself. What do you say to that, Donald? What if there are real needs that you have to go after? Well, we all do. I don't mean to discount that, and for so many of us, particularly now with the hard economic times. But recognize what you do have. Yes. It, may, it may just be your health. It may be your children. Mm-hmm. It, it may be your parents. Who knows what it is that you, that you have already that is marvelous. And in America, we're so lucky because so many of us are fortunate in a free democracy. You have your own voice, which you can raise an objection to injustice or, or, or whatnot. In so many countries and through so much human history, people didn't even have that. So, I mean, it's summertime. We have beautiful weather most places in the country. So there are things to recognize, first and foremost, that you do have. And then when it comes to the things that you're seeking, that you want to achieve, that you want to have, the best advice I can give you is the advice that Charlie Munger, who's the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's uh, lieutenant in running that great, powerful, rich uh, company, is more important than the will to win is the will to prepare. So for all of you who are seeking to achieve or gather more or, or, or get something, move it into your life, then you have to fall in love with the preparation for that. So if it's money, that means you have to really study and understand your work in order to excel. Study and understand finance in order to save money and invest it properly and safely. Yeah, and the other thing, Donald, is it may not mean that you love every bit of the process. No. You don't have to love. No one does. That's unrealistic. But you do have to understand that 
a big, a huge part of success is simply preparation. Now, it can be preparation to be a ballerina. It can be preparation to be a, a, a world-class skier. It can be preparation to paint. It can be preparation to become an accountant. It's you get to choose. That's so, great- so true. I mean, I think of that with my programs, and you know being a broadcaster. I mean, think of the amount of time that you spend preparing versus the amount of time you're on the air. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and you're never given enough. I never felt as prepared, well, I guess a few times, but I always wanted to be more prepared, more prepared, more prepared. And the more prepared you are, the easier it is, the fun, the more fun it is. And of course, the better it is. All right. So let's talk about what you learned from these, from these people and not only what you learned, but what your readers are telling you they're getting. Well, I'm so gratified by what people get out of it. Everyone gets something a little different, but what I learned from these great people is that it is not just about achievement. It's really about the way you are, how to be. And David Brooks, who just wrote The Social Animal, he's the New York Times columnist, the great columnist, said the most important thing a teacher can do for students in the classroom is to teach them a way to be. So I'm learning as I go through life that no matter how hard I work and how much I achieve, how good I think I am or others think I am, the next level is about the way I am, not what I do. And I, I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough to others because it's not, on, not only will make you more successful, it will allow you to achieve more. Other people will stand back and take note of you more, uh, but it'll make the daily process of the work much more enjoyable. Of all these 19 traits, Donald, what do you think are the most challenging as you look at them that, that, that you know, a lot of people don't achieve or have challenges with it? Well, for me, it, it's the autonomous one. I was not blessed with supportive parents in a way. I mean, my parents were very supportive in terms of putting a roof over my head. My father was a doctor. My mother was, I was one of seven kids. There wasn't really enough time for us. My parents then divorced. My mother felt very strongly about uh, the way we ought to be and what we ought to do and how we ought to think, which, which, was, which was backwards. She, it, it, I've learned over the years that a parent's role, one of the most important things to do is to support the child and what they want. It's, yeah. it's an, a respect for the individual in front of you, even if they're two or three or ten years old. And in and, and the older generation, my parents' generation, they didn't know that as much. I mean, the why no, I agree. You, you had certain standards you had to meet up to. It was not just standards. It was, you think this way, that's wrong. You are this way, that's wrong. You, you must, it must be another way. You must be the, the model that my mother thought I should be or my siblings should be. And it was, it was not fair. It was not right. It undercut our own identities, and I've spent a lifetime trying to gain that independence, that autonomy, that self-directed life that I think is each and every person's birthright. Very, so very interesting. Who impressed you the most? Now, you interviewed some amazing people like Warren Buffett and Jack Welch. Who impressed you the most, or did they all impress you in their own way? Well, they're all very different, and they're all, I mean, all those great characters, the famous characters in the book are all so impressive in so many ways. But Andy Grove is uh, a gentleman who co-founded Intel. He discovered the impurity in silicon sand, 
that launched the computer age because all of a sudden there was this cheap material on which to etch all of these uh, electronic circuitries. And so he, 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 he's a, uh, a Jew from Hungary, and as a boy, eight years old, in Budapest, his father was marched off to a Nazi work camp. He and his mother fled into the countryside, took on Gentile identities in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then when the Red Army moved into Hungary in the in 1955, he fled for the Austrian border. And then he comes to the United States. He becomes this brilliant chemical engineer and discovers this impurity in silicon, which was sodium, by the way, for anyone interested. And then. He's at Fairchild Semiconductor, and then he launches Intel. And he is a tough, demanding, exacting individual, but brilliant and was so forthcoming about his life and his philosophy. And uh, I just, I admire some of that to no end. That is amazing. And the fact that he also could be loving and kind, having gone through that kind of experience. I think he was... I don't know him on that level, to be honest with you, but, but to, for someone to survive that way and to be uh, largely free of uh, animosity and to be so positively directed and so uh, creative, so resourceful, so uh, aware of risk and danger and having survived it, and still then to be a human being who contributes so much to mankind is uh, is just a tribute, I think, to him and um, and to those like him. What is it that you're, when you do book signings and when people write to you and say they've read the book, what is it they tell you that they get out of it most for their lives, Donald? Well, they understand now much better why they love and admire certain people in their lives. And, and, and this may be, you know, an uncle or, or, or someone they've known and loved very closely, very dearly. But it also may be someone that they've simply uh, known, someone in their workplace or, or someone in their neighborhood, you know, a sweet elderly woman down the street who's always helping out, who's always involved, who's always staying up to date with what's going on. And they've wondered, why is it that they admire this person? Why is it that they respect them so much? And in the book, which is really what I hope to achieve, is that people then understand, oh, it's because she's this, and she has that character trait, and she's this way. And it makes people much more aware of the good uh, the, some of the obvious traits, and then some of the more subtle traits that they themselves can start to think about and and inculcate, develop in their own personality. So it makes them happier and more successful and more aware. So it's it's marvelous that people learn why great people are the way they are. One of the people you have said is really a woman who's so famous, who's exhibited all of these traits for decades, is Meryl Streep. Yes, and Meryl Streep, the reason she's in the book is that I had um, my transcript, and I was, a manuscript rather, and I was showing it to a dear friend of mine who lives uh, outside New York City, and she said, you know, all these traits, it, makes, it reminds me of Meryl Streep. And I thought, oh, I guess I think you're right. I think, she, you know, she's such a marvelous person, I think, as well as actress. And then that was very close to the time, uh, December 2009, when Vanity Fair did a cover story on her. You may remember that. And there were all of these descriptions of Meryl Streep's various personality traits by all these directors, producers, other actors. And, 
you could see that they were all describing these traits, or the 19 traits were all there. And then I went and saw her management company has this website, which is a variety of of her speeches to graduating classes, commencement addresses, interviews, etc. And there in all of that stuff, which she has written, is are all the traits. And so all I did, frankly, in the epilogue of the book is I cut and pasted and quoted and, descri- and, and then, you know, described this is the trait. And she talks about empathy, and she talks about being egalitarian, and she talks about, about being realistic, and all these wonderful things, and, and that has really made her who she is. So she was just a great, wonderful uh, uh, totality, I suppose, of all the traits which we've seen publicly. We've been able to see her evolve publicly in this way. So uh, she was just a great example. Amazing. Now, one of the other things that you talk about is that it's very difficult in our society to be so, not just individual, but to communicate. There's so many invasive communication technologies. Hmm. So how do we really connect in a way that we need to? Does it require self-discipline, Donald? Well, this is a trait I call being unaffected. Um, and this is, means that it really strong independent individuals do not let others dictate who they are, what they want. We talked a little about this a little earlier when I talked about my parents basically telling my siblings and I who we were supposed to be, when, of course, it's our choice to do that as free-thinking individuals. But unaffected means that it's not just your parents or your family. It's your boss. It's your neighborhood. It's not keeping up with the Joneses. It's also resisting the zeitgeist. We, we all live in an era where the current thinking infects our own thinking, affects and infects. One of the great shows I love to watch is Mad Men. And one of the reasons I love watching it is that it is so perfectly set in its era, early 1960s America, New York City. Hmm. And you can see the way that people think about women, about people of color, about war and peace and sex and infidelity and child rearing and all these things. And you see, because I remember enough, I was a little kid, but I remember my parents were conservative living in Toronto, Canada, and I could, you can see it, I can feel it viscerally, the way they think about all these things and how we've abandoned. <laughs> we now reject so much of that thinking, the racist thinking, the sexist thinking. And, I, and, and it makes me pause and think, what ideas do we have today that we will completely reject 30, 40, 50 years from now. So really marvelous people step back from their era. They even step back and away from themselves. This is another trait. They're a little bit detached from even their own thinking, their own emotions. And it gives them a much broader, more philosophical uh, way of looking at life. So These are the more subtle traits, but they're profoundly important. What would you say is your message for for the audience, for listeners? What is it you want them to get? I want want them, I want the world uh, to be aware that there there are better ways to be. There are... uh, One of the great philosophers, American philosophers, was William James. And one of his great quotes is... He who will rest in himself, he who will rest in himself will be part of destiny. So I want everyone out there to read the book and to think about their life, their choices, the way they are, 
and to recognize that they can be more. They can be better. They can be happier. And, and, and there are great human beings all around them. Maslow posited that it's one in a hundred that are really magnificently healthy psychologically. So that means there are at least three million in America. So they're all around you. You just need to know how to spot them. So here's my question. Do you think, Donald, that you have to have had a happy upbringing or not necessarily? It helps. It helps enormously, but it's not necessary. I didn't have a happy upbringing. I was very lucky, I suppose, in my DNA. Mm -hmm. My parents were, were bright and healthy. And so, well, and you gave the example of the man with the Holocaust situation. That wasn't happy. No, not at all. That was a trial. And, and a lot of these people have, have difficult childhoods. And so I don't disagree, A, that nature matters, DNA does matter. I don't disagree that nurturing matters, your family and your upbringing does matter. But there's a third element into who you are today, right now, and in the future. And that is your choices. This goes back to old biblical teachings you're, you're, you have free will. Um, so if you, had, if, if you didn't have the greatest DNA, if you're not strong and healthy and handsome and all the rest, if you didn't have the greatest upbringing, if your parents were neglectful or even abusive, you still have the chance to make yourself and your life much better. Your life is a trajectory. And if you make little positive changes every day or, or every week or whenever you can, it changes the trajectory of your life. Your life will get better. It may not show up right away, but it will over time. And that's the way I've been able to live. And I, and I know so many others who have too. So I have great faith in educating yourself about the ways of others and then bringing those people. This is the key. This is really key, Patricia. Reading my book is helpful. Listening to these, your program is helpful. But really what matters is bringing these people into your life because we're profoundly social animals. Absolutely. So Fine. And, and the other thing I think, too, Donald, is the more you are bringing these people in, you're naturally attracting them. It kind of shows me that I'm on the right track. Yes. When all of a sudden I'm bringing in these amazing people who have a lot of the qualities you're mentioning, there has to be something I'm doing that's attracting that. Yeah. And, and it's self-affirming in and of itself, let alone Absolutely. what you might be learning from them and Absolutely. just picking up and emulating. Yeah. It's a real joy. All right. How can people get your book and uh, tell us that? Please go to Barnes & Noble and buy it at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> it's, okay. just part of, it's part of their, their standards that as long as they sell a certain number a month, then they keep it on the bookshelves and keep pushing it, which is very helpful. Amazon.com has it. You can buy it for your Kindle. It's now in an ebook version. You can buy it for the Nook, Barnes & Nobles. You can buy it for your iPad. So any which way you want to purchase it in a, in a traditional bookstore, you may call ahead and say, do you have it? And they'll have it within a day or two. The good among the great, I do hope that people buy it. It's been really great to have you on the program, Donald. Oh, Patricia, really thank has. you. Yeah, stay on the line. Donald Vandermark, veteran interviewer and astute observer of many of the most acclaimed newsmakers of our time. His new book is The Good Among the Great, 19 Traits of the Most Admirable, Creative, and Joyous People. Again, um, Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Until next time. I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Bye for now.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 